Well, C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, Mere Christianity. You ever read Mere Christianity? He describes faith like this, and listen carefully. He says, Faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted. It's the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. He says that as a Christian, he has moods, he had moods where the whole thing looked improbable. Like the whole thing looked like it wasn't real. But then he talked about, we, we all, if you know, he was an atheist before he, he turned. He said he had moods when he was an atheist in which Christi- Christianity looked terribly probable. So in other words, you can't really completely rely on kind of how you feel in a moment. We kind of have to look, that's why we have to look at the scriptures and we have to look at the story of scripture to kind of interpret what's going on in our, in our world around us. I know what it's like to be all over the map in my journey of faith. I don't know if that's the case for you. I can be all over the map where there are times when I say God is present. There are times where I cannot feel his presence. And there's times where I can kind of put a flag down and I can say, hey, this is where I know God was present here. And there are other times I feel lost. But right now in this place, you and I are here. And, and even if you're joining us in person or if you're joining us online, for you to come to worship, and even if it's today or next week or if it's in the past, for you to come to worship requires a mustard seed of faith. For you to show up requires faith. Even if you've been around church for a long time and you just are showing up again, whether this is the first time you come to church, that requires a mustard seed of faith. And we're coming to this passage in Luke. And, and this is the very purpose why Luke writes his whole book. He says it. He said it at the very beginning, he says he's writing so that we can be certain of what we believe. He is writing this account so that we can be certain. We've been going, uh, so, so as, we, as we open up this, um, we're going to be looking at, uh, at Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Praise to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this, uh, this day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for your word that we can come together and, 
and experience your presence through your word and through your people and through your sacrament. Lord, we do pray for your word right now that you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, no matter where we are, whether we, uh, so many of us are, are feeling isolated, I pray that you would become, come near to us now through your word, that we may experience you, Emmanuel, as God with us through your word. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see you, give us ears to hear you, give us hearts that receive you by faith, and we pray that your word would be power, the power of salvation for all who believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Whew, man, I, I, when I read this story, this story makes me feel better. And let me explain why this story makes me feel better. Maybe some of you who are parents uh, have actually uh, fear this happening to your child, but I've actually had this happen to me as a parent <laughs> where I've lost my child. Uh, when I was uh, a very young parent, my, and Jonah, my, my oldest child, who is 16 now, when he was uh, about three or four years old, uh, I took him to, uh, we were living in Atlanta at the time, um, and I took him with a friend of mine to uh, the old Turner Field uh, where the Braves used to play. And the Bra- so we were like, let's take our, my son has a, or my, my, one of my friends has a son who's the same age. And so we thought, hey, it'd be a great idea to take our kids to see a Braves game. And so we were watching the Braves, and as three- or four-year-olds get, they get kind of antsy in, in the stands. And so we, there was a play area at the old Turner Field where, like, in, like, the sixth or seventh inning, we decided just, let's just take our kids over to the play area, and we can watch the game on TV. We can continue to chat. And so my friend and I, John and I, were talking, and our, we, we, this play level had, like, this play area had, like, two levels where, you know, there's the bottom level, and then there was a stairs you could climb, and then the, most of the kids that would go up on the level, they would come and slide down the slide to the, I mean, you've been there, you've seen these play areas. So we were talking, and we saw both of our children go up into the, to the upper area, and I saw my son's, you know, I'm sorry, my friend's son uh, come down, and I didn't see Jonah come down. We started to kind of look around, and we didn't see him. You know, we saw uh, my friend's son, but we didn't see Jonah. And I thought, okay, maybe he's just around here somewhere. We, we started searching. We looked up. We, couldn't, we looked up in the upper level. We didn't see him. And a minute goes by. Two minutes go by. And I'm beginning to get that sinking feeling. Like, I can't find my son. I don't know where he is. And I felt like we had searched the whole play area. And I thought, oh no. He may have left the play area. So I, I walk out of the play area and I look out at Turner Field, and there's 40, a sea of 40,000 people. And I had this sinking feeling just in my stomach. Oh, no, I've lost my son as I look out at these 40,000 people. And let me tell you, that is not a feeling you want to have when you, when you as a parent. And it was right then where my friend John said, David, he's over here. I found him. He had somehow been kind of tucked away in one of the areas, of the, part of the play area. But I had this moment where I thought I was convinced that I had lost my son at Turner Field <laughs> where the in a sea of 40,000 people. That is not a good feeling you want to have. That is not a conversation you want to go home and have a, uh, with your spouse that you've lost your child. And I think this is, this is why Luke shares this story with us. Why he's, I love in the Bible when there are stories that I can relate to. I can say, I've experienced that, 
or, you know, there's something that's like I'm fearful of experiencing, and the Bible goes to these great lengths to share those stories with us. They, the, God wants us to, to, to hear and receive stories that we can relate to. I find, and I find this one very encouraging, particularly encouraging, because I think he also shares this because he wants us to show us what the journey of faith looks like. Actually, this, is a, this story shows us what this journey of faith looks like, and it's not what you expect. As Mary and Joseph are on this journey of faith as Jesus' parents. I think that's kind of what is so hard for me to understand about faith, because for me, if, if you're like me, maybe, I'm a linear kind of guy. It's like, I, if I know, you know, if I've got to go from point A to point B, I want to go from the direct path, you know, just put on Google Maps, let's go from point A to point B, and let's not try to stop or anything like that, let's just go, let's just go from point A to point B on a, on a very direct linear path on a steady pace. Let's enjoy the ride. Let's listen to some Tom Petty along the way. And that is not what the journey of faith is like at all. That's not what happens in this story. Let's look back at the text at verses 41 through 42. Verses 41 and 42. I can imagine Mary and Joseph are getting ready to go on this trip. What they're doing is they're going on a trip from Nazareth to Jerusalem. And it's a trip they would take three times a year. And it's a 60-mile trip. And they would do it in a community. And you can imagine, like, Mary and Joseph getting together with Jesus and saying, you know, which, you know what we're going. You know where we're going. You know how to do this. This is the Feast of the Passover. We're going to go to the temple. We're going to meet with God. Remember how he freed us from oppression. Well, that's what we're going to celebrate. We're going to go there, and we're going to come back. Right? As a parent, I know what that's like. You tell your kids about the journey, what the expectations are. And you know, Jesus, I kind of love this story because 12-year-old Jesus does what 12-year-olds do. He does his own thing. <laughs> he decides, he's like, I'm going to do my own thing. If you look at verse 43, after the, ver- after the feast ended, he decides he's going to stay in the temple. His parents assume he's going to get on the caravan kind of go, and go back, but he does not. He stays in the temple. And here's where things kind of deviate from that linear path. As we follow the rest of the story, I want to kind of see like, if you can locate yourself in this story at all. As we look at, especially as we look at Mary and Joseph as the parents of Jesus, I want to see if you can, how you can relate to them and how you can locate yourself. You know, kind of locate yourself to say, like, hey, this is where I am. You know, like on those maps where it says, you are here. Sometimes I can say, that's where I am. I can relate to Mary here. Or I can relate to Joseph here. Maybe, that, maybe that's what you can do when, as we go through this uh, passage. So, look back at verse 44. First of all, we're going to look at, I want to do this in three, three sort of moves. We're going to look at how we, on our journey, sometimes we can lose Jesus, we can search for Jesus, and we can find Jesus. All right? So first of all, we're going to start out with how we uh, lose Jesus. Looking back at verse 44, Mary and Joseph and the family just carried on like everybody was on board with the linear plan, right? They just left. They just left Jerusalem. They, were, they had already worshipped at the Feast of Passover, and they went on like everything was normal. And did you read this in verse 44? They went a whole day, a whole day 
before they actually realized Jesus wasn't with them. They kind of, I mean, we just watched, uh, as a family, when well, my kids rewatched the, the Home Alone movie. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's kind of a Christmas classic. It's a Christmas classic in our family. You kind of have that moment where, remember, um, the mom's on the plane and she says, Kevin! Where she realizes she had lost, or she had left Kevin back at home. I can imagine there was a moment where Mary's like, Jesus, like we've lost him. He's, we've been a whole day. I mean, this almost feels like the biblical version of Home Alone. It's like that feeling when you, f- you forget something. Do you have your bags? It's like you can imagine as they were going back on the caravan. I don't know what it would have been like. But I mean, you think about like all the, the things that you check before you go back on a trip. Do you have your bags? Do you have your iPad? Do you have your like, you know, your iPhone? Do you have like um, all the things that you need? You have your headphones, you know, and then they realize, do we have Jesus? No, we left Jesus. We left God back in Jerusalem. <laughs> well, this is like what I would call like this Kevin moment, right? It's like this from Home Alone, the Kevin moment where you realize you have lost something or you are lost and you need to go back to search for it. We kind of have these moments where we get to a point where we realize, especially in our life of faith, where we are apart from God, right? We are apart from God. Maybe for you, we have this kind of Kevin moment where I've had these moments in my life where I, I realize like I'm apart from God. Whether I go on, maybe it's like your routine life, where you're kind of going through the routine of your life, and you're, you're living, you're, you're working, you're playing, you're parenting, or you're, you're living your life, and then all of a sudden you kind of go by, a day goes by, a week goes by, a month, and maybe even a year, and you kind of begin to realize, wait, I haven't thought about God, or where is God in all of this? Kind of have this moment where even in your routine life, where you begin to kind of question the presence of God in your life. Anybody have experienced that? I know I have. I've experienced that where I've gone through the routine, I go through the motions, and then I, re- I kind of ask the question, wait, where is God in all this? Have I felt his presence? Is he with me? But it's not only your routine life. Um, it might be that you've been doing kind of rough life, like, like in this pandemic, where you go through something very difficult, where you go through something like a suffering or a sickness, and you kind of have that moment like, where is God in all of this? And you feel apart from God in that rough part, of, in that difficult, suffering part of your life where you feel like, man, I feel like I'm apart from God. I feel like He is absent. And either, either way, we have this moment, like Mary, where we realize, like, oh, am I don't feel God's presence. God is, is God with me? Where is God? Where did God, where is God in all of this? I mean, your Kevin moment might, might be the shock of kind of being off schedule in your life. You know, for some of us, it's like, I'm not kind of where I want to be at age 30 or age 40 or beyond. We all kind of have this itinerary of what we want our life to look like. You know, I'm 30 years old. I should be married by now or I should have kids by now. Or I should have this certain level of my, reach this certain level of my career by now. We kind of have this whole itinerary, and then we get to a certain point where we, we ask the question like, okay, God, where are you? You're not on my schedule. Where, where are you? 
Mary and Joseph had this itinerary. They were a whole day ahead of God. <laughs> and then they asked the question, where are you? Where is Jesus? And maybe like, like you and like I, we can, we, like me, we can ask those same questions. Where is God? Where is God in all of this? Well, that creates a certain sense of shock when we kind of ask that question, when we actually recognize there are times in our lives where we feel apart from God, where we feel like God is absent. And after the shock of thinking that we've lost Jesus or comes, comes kind of this anxiety uh, for searching for Jesus. That's kind of the second point I want to look at. Once we realize how we've, we are apart from God, comes the anxiety of searching for Jesus. Look at uh, verses 44 and 45. Mary and Joseph go looking for Jesus and searching for him. And I love how verse 44 and 45 actually kind of says they didn't find him immediately. It wasn't like this immediate like, okay, they go and lay the search for him and they found him. No, they were calling for him. Jesus, like you can imagine, like I felt in that moment with looking for my son. I couldn't find him and I thought, they thought they had lost Jesus. They thought they had lost him. There's a, I referenced the, the movie Home Alone. This, the director of Home Alone is uh, Chris Columbus. He directed lots of different movies that you may have heard of. Um, he actually directed and wrote The Goonies. He wrote, wrote um, or he directed um, Mrs. Doubtfire. He uh, directed the first two Harry Potter movies. And one of the things I was watching an interview with him, these are all like favorite movies of mine, um, so he's, you know, one of my, I really enjoy his movies, and one of the things that he kind of, as a director, was really uh, kind of almost obsessed by was this idea of uh, a character getting lost from their family and kind of the sort of exploring what it looked like for the search for that character to get reunited with their family. If you think about that, that happens in the, the Goonies. This, these, these kids get lost from their parents. Or it happens at home alone, right? It happens in a lot of the movies. It happens, um, he explores that in the Harry Potter, the first two Harry Potter movies. Uh, that's one of the reasons he wanted to, to direct those movies because it explores that theme of kind of being lost from your parents and then trying to search for getting back to them. And I, and I think that, um, you know, this was one of the big questions, you know, like uh, when we lived in New York, uh, about raising kids in the city was when they could ride the subway by themselves. Um, that was kind of this big question when, you know, I lived in New York for 10 years, and as my son, he started riding the subway when he was like in fifth grade, and we would make sure when he got off the subway or when he, that he would say, I'm at school, or when he got off the subway, he would text us and he would say, I'm at home. And like, if you actually look at the, a lot of the text messages with, with my kids, it's like, it's really this obsession of like, are you home? When are you going to be home? <laughs> what, are you like almost home? Like, and my kids will text back, I'm almost home or I'm coming home in 15 minutes. But it's like this obsession with like, as a parent, I want to be like, when are you, like, it's, it's like I'm searching for them. When are you going to be home? When are you going to come home? Are you almost home? There's this like, I, wanna, I want them to be home. It's like this search is happening. And you can imagine what Mary and Joseph felt like. They had to go back and they wanted to search for Jesus and they had to go back to Jerusalem. And they had to deal with the anxiety 
of not knowing where their child was. I know what that anxiety is like. And the Bible repeats this command all throughout. It says, seek God. And if you seek God, you will find him. But how often do you call out for God and search for him and search for him and search for him and hear nothing? So often we can be like Mary, Jesus, we can call out and there's no answer. Jesus, where are you? Jesus, I have a friend of mine, uh, a former colleague of mine from a long time ago when I used to teach high school, who tells a story about how he sought for God. He went on a journey into nature, and he, he, he tells the story about, about how he was hoping for this spiritual experience, hoping to find God, hoping to call out to him, begging for God to reveal himself, even praying, Jesus, God, and nothing happened. And he returned and decided that because nothing happened, that God was not real, because he didn't answer when he called. And so much, so much of the journey of, is like holding on to the hope that we are going to find Jesus <laughs> as we search for him. Because so, much, so many of us can continue calling out and we don't feel like God is answering. Just like Mary which had that anxiety of seeking Jesus and not being able to find him. Well, if we go on with the story, we know what happens because we read it earlier. After the anxiety of searching for Jesus comes the relief of finding him, right? Is that what we see in this passage? There's kind of this shock of losing Jesus, this, this, um, this anxiety of searching for him, and now we would expect the, the relief would come. Let's look back at verses 47 through 50. When Mary and Joseph found Jesus, he was where? Remember, he, he was sitting in the temple. And what was he doing? He was with the teachers, which meant that he himself, at 12 years old, was a teacher. Because if you were in the temple with teachers, you were considered a teacher yourself. And not only was he considered that, but he, the other teachers were astonished by him. Everybody was amazed at what him, and even his parents were astonished when they came in. So, I mean, all of that, I can see all that, right? There's like, you know, you kind of come back and you expect that from Jesus, but... And I can also kind of see what happens next. Mary asked Jesus in verse um, 40, 47 and following, 48, and his mother said to him, you can expect this if you either have um, heard this from your parent or maybe you have said this as a parent. Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. That makes sense to me. I've experienced that both as a child and as a parent. As a child, I remember when I would come in and try to hope that my parents wouldn't know that I was kind of coming in at late at night and I would try to open the door real slowly only to find my dad waiting for me saying, David, where have you been? You're late. Don't you know that your mom and I are worried about you? Maybe you've experienced that as a child and maybe you've experienced that as a parent as well where your child comes in and You've been waiting for them to return home. And you've been waiting for them. I've experienced that as a child and a parent. I can completely relate with what Mary is saying here. Where have you been? I can feel her frustration. 
I can feel her anxiety. I can only imagine that Mary was pretty upset. I, might, I would imagine maybe there were some choice words that she said for her son that weren't recorded here. <laughs> maybe, possibly. Maybe this is the PG version of this. Maybe this is what was happening. But what comes next doesn't make So all that kind of makes sense to me because I can connect with that as a parent and a child. I've experienced that, like, you know, what merit, that, that makes sense. Seems like Jesus is in trouble because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. But what comes next doesn't make sense to me. And, and even as I read it now, it, just, it still perplexes me. Jesus says, why were you looking for me? <laughs> why, were, is, why were you looking for me? Don't, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? This is so confusing to me. And it, how, Can you imagine how confusing it must have been to Mary and Joseph to hear Jesus say that? That Jesus would talk to his mom like that? You know, why can't you just be like a normal person, Jesus? That's just it. He's not a normal person. He's a God person. And that's why he says what he says and why he is where he is. And I think that we can kind of see that when God does appear in our lives, when we actually find him, so often you would expect relief when we say, okay, I've found God, now I'm with him, and now we can kind of get back on my path of like going in the linear direction that I was planning on going on. Okay, God, you're finally here with me, and we can finally get back to going the direction I want to go. But when God does appear in our lives, when he does show up, it's not often relief. It's confusing. Just like Mary was confused, it can be confusing for you and I too. Why did God do that? Sometimes we think, okay, God gives you something. Maybe he gives you a job. And you're like, oh God, I wasn't expecting that job. Or he gives you, you know, a certain open door in your life and you are confused by it. Jesus' answer was not what Mary was expecting. And his answer might not be what you were expecting either. But Jesus' answer shows us that he's not shocked by where we've been either. He's in his father's house, and he's not shocked. Mary and Joseph's confusion was probably mixed with some shame as well. For them, it was probably this parental shame of, like, neglecting their child. For us, it might be this individual shame of, what we kind of have done or haven't done. Whatever it is, Jesus is not shocked by how you come to him. You know, Mary and Joseph, maybe they came to him with anxiety or maybe a little anger and maybe some confusion, and Jesus just simply receives them as they are. His own parents, he receives them as they are, and he receives you and I as we are too. Whether we come to him with confusion or shame, he will receive you as you are. And then after the confusion and after the shame, and when we are received by him and when we are united with him, we look at verse 51. It says, this comes the gratitude part. <laughs> we see that in verse 51, I'll read it for us. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And I kind of appreciate just that 12-year-old Jesus is like both submissive and also kind of independent and he's at the same time kind of he, he knew what it was like to want to be on his own and, he, and at the same time he chose to be obedient and, and all this after all of the 
emotions that Mary experienced. She says she treasured up all these things in her heart. <laughs> Man, there was a lot. I can imagine there was so much emotion that she experienced. Mark Twain once said that he is uh, noted for saying this, when I was a boy of 14 years old, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand the man. But when I got to be 21 years old, I was astonished at how much the man had learned. I think this is kind of like a reverse of the, John, or of the Mark Twain quote. <laughs> Mary is the one who is realizing how wise her son is. I think Mary's kind of coming to this moment where she actually sees how wise and how amazing her son is. He even amazed the, the, the t teachers in the temple with his wisdom. He is always talking about doing the work of his father. He is this God person who is the savior of the world. And I think Mary also realized one of the great ironies of the Bible. The, the irony of this is that when we seek God and we find him, we actually realize that he is the one who has been seeking us the whole time and who's been drawing us to himself. Jesus knew exactly. Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, remained in the temple, and he knew exactly what would happen, that Mary would be drawn back to him. That's one of the great ironies of the Bible. And it says, and, and later in Luke, he gives us this account when he says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So wherever you are on your journey right now of faith, you can, wherever you locate yourself, you can know that Jesus is seeking you and leading you to himself. And this is what, as we fast forward to the end of Jesus' life, this is what his followers realized when they were on a journey on the road to Emmaus. After Jesus had died, just like when he was a boy, he was lost for three days. And his followers were completely lost with him. This was also during the feast of the Passover. His followers and disciples were confused, just like Mary. They were anxious. They didn't know where he was. They didn't know what to do. They thought they had lost the Savior of the world through death. They thought they lost him forever. Some of his followers were even talking about it as they walked on this road, this road to Emmaus, and Jesus appeared to them, and they didn't even recognize him. And he explained that everything in the Bible, the law and the prophets, were all about him. And then their eyes were opened. And they were able to see him. Friends, this is what I want you to hear. Jesus is leading you on your journey and on my journey, and he wants to reveal himself to you. And so I encourage you to continue to seek him and to know that he is, he is here. He is present with you in all times and all places. You can seek him and you can find him in his word and in his sacrament. C.S. Lewis said that in order not to be people who are dithering to and fro, we should develop a habit of faith where we take hold of the word on a regular basis because that's where God is revealed. That's where God is revealed in his word. And the word is all about Jesus. He also wants to reveal himself to you on the streets and on the sidewalks, in the hospitals and in homes. That's where he did most of his ministry, was out. 
That's where he is still present and at work. I love, I'm going to close with this. I love the poem by Gerard Manley Hopkins. He says this, Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his, to the fathers through the feature of men's faces. So friends, Christ is present everywhere, working out his salvation and in his world and in you. Seek him. He is leading you. Believe that he is present. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this story that we can locate ourselves in, that when we feel apart from you and when we search for you, Lord, that you are drawing us to yourself so that we might find you. And Lord, you are the king of all, and your kingdom shall have no end. And we pray that we would abide in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.